It's the football, 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 and sometimes other sports show. Here's your host, AJ Nicoletti. What up? FFFSOSS.com at FFFSOSS, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch.tv slash AJ Nick3. The tournament is here, folks. We're going to fill out the bracket at the top of this pod. Then we'll do a little first four recap. Talk a little Champions League round of 16 second legs. Look ahead to the quarterfinal draw on Friday. Weekend soccer preview ahead of the uh, international break in March here. NFL headlines and free agency. Plenty of trades to talk about. And then we'll do a little golf. And then Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 3 reaction. So I will tell you when to get out if you have not watched Episode 3 yet of Mandalorian. Which was, whoa. So we'll talk about that at the end of the program. But at the top, we will fill out the NCAA bracket. Very exciting. Love doing that. We'll go pod by pod. Uh, tell you a little bit about each team, why I have them moving on, how I see the game playing out, and we'll, uh, that's how we'll pick uh, my champion. So that's what we'll do at the top of the show. We'll do filling out the NCAA bracket, March Madness first four, uh, Champions League round of 16 seconds legs, weekend soccer preview, NFL headlines, golf, and then Mandalorian season three, episode three uh, reaction. Just want to shout out one pick. Not a bad season. Could have been a better season, that's for sure. But not a bad season. One pick, 21-17 and 17 on the year. Brings us up to, over the last now four seasons, right? 125-93-3. Not bad. Not bad. So that's the uh, one pick. Also, if you have not bought it already, the Madness Sheet. MadnessSheet.com. Make sure you buy the sheet. Uh, that's how you get the undertrend. And it's... Uh, 25, 25, and 2. Not bad. So, got to go get the Manish Sheet. com. Shout out to Timmy Boxes. Absolute legend in the game. Manish com. Okay. Um, all right, let's get right into it. Let's fill out the NCAA tournament bracket with the kickoff. We'll start in the south. And you move on Bama after, uh, ahead of uh, Texas A&M Corpus <laughs> Coming off their first four win. An interesting game here in this pod it has to be 8-9. Maryland, West Virginia. I've kind of, I've kind of gone back and forth on this one. Willard, year one with Maryland. Good job getting into the tournament. Young, Scott, Hart, Reese, they're all over 10. Uh, carries like a role-playing kind of guard for Willard. West Virginia with Huggy Bear, Stevenson, Mitchell, Johnson, Matthews, Jr., all in double figures. Toussaint just under 10, the point guard. I... Don't have like an inkling either way, but I did remember that Willard had good Seton Hall teams that never really won, and things would go against them. The Arkansas game back in the day, like I was like, yeah, that was a bad call. Um, Wofford shot the lights out against them, unfortunately, one season. So they've, I think they had Gonzaga one year, if I'm not mistaken, as well. So they've had some really tough matchups. Uh, Willard teams now he's with Maryland. He's going to have to win a game for me in the tournament before I pick him to win a game. So I'm going to go West Virginia here with the Huggy Bear. And I think all season Huggy Bear's been on his guys. And now that they're out of the Big 12, he can kind of take a breath and prepare for a good Maryland team. But I think it's a team in West Virginia that 
is tired of seeing <laughs> Big 12 teams. So I think Stevenson can shoot a little bit. Between Mitchell's, Mitchell, Johnson, and Matthews, you're going to get some scoring. And Toussaint, I think, does a nice job at the point guard position for them. So I'm going to nudge West Virginia on there. And I will give Bama the win over West Virginia. I think with Bama, Miller is one of the top players in the country. Sears is a great guard. He's moved Quinterly back into the starting lineup after he won sixth man of the year, which is pretty funny, but he's back in the starting lineup. Clowney is so underrated in the corner as a shooter. He can get to the rim as well. Um, and then Bediaco was a big, a very, very important player. Bradley and Griffin are two role guys for them, but they're big five of Miller, Sears, Clowney, Quinterly, Bediaco. That's the five you're going to see the most um, from Nate Oates. And again, West Virginia, nice team. Um, not like a great team. Didn't play great basketball, but a talented team with a really good coach. But they're one win, and then they're out in the second round to Alabama. So you go down to the 5-12-4-13. I know this 5-12 with San Diego State Charleston, a lot of people are picking Charleston. And with Bolin, Brozovich, Smith, Robinson, Larson, they're all over 10. That's a mid-major with five guys in double figures. Um, Burnham gets nine, I believe, as well. So... He has, he has some good scoring. So, Charleston can score. They can fill it up. But San Diego State, for me, played in a bad uh, Charleston's not in a bad league, but San Diego State played in a better league. Eight guys played 20 minutes. Bradley, the Cal transfers in double figures. Trammell, Butler, Ladee, Johnson, Parrish, they're all around 10 points a game, 7-plus for some of the other guys. Like, San Diego State, to me, very solid team. I have them moving on over Charleston. Um then UVA Furman. You know I'm not the biggest UVA guy. Um, Clark is a hell of a guard, but I don't really love Gardner, Franklin, and Peekman, even though they're on double figures. Viner Plus was kind of a glue guy, but he's out for the season now. Furman has scorers. So this is a pace game for me 100%. If Furman can score with Bothwell getting 18 a game, and then they got Slauson, uh, Peggy's and Forster. Like, these guys are getting 10 a game. Furman can score. So, if Furman scores the basketball against Virginia, they move on. Now, if they get in a tight game, that the game that Virginia wants, they're probably not going to move on. So, I like Furman here. So, I'm going to put San Diego State and Furman into the second round, and the run for Furman ends against San Diego State because though they'll be coming off a win against Virginia. San Diego State plays good defense for me, but it's not like the Virginia pacing aspect, okay? So I'm going to nudge San Diego State on to the Sweet 16. Middle, uh, bottom pod, Creighton, NC State, Baylor, UCSB. Creighton, NC State is an interesting game. I really like the Creighton team. They're not deep, but the five is really good. Kalkburn is one of the best bigs. Shireman, Alexander, Nemhart, Kaluma, those guys are ball players. McDermott has five basketball players. They're cerebral, they're clinical, they take the right shots, they don't seem to force it. When they limit turnovers and play good defense, they're just a, a, another world good. Um, and you saw that at the beginning of the season, they've struggled a little bit, and then they got right um, into the Big East of a little bit there, the Big East tournament run. So I'm going to give the nod to Creighton over NC State. I know they got four guys in double figures, Smith, Joyner, Morsell, Burns Jr. in double figures, Clark, 
and Maravich, however, are out. So those are two misses for NC State. I like Creighton here. I know it's an easy pick because they're the higher, uh, the better seed. But I like Creighton in this 6-11 spot. Baylor, UCSB. I understand people doubting Baylor. But with Flagler, with Cryer, with Chumachachua, a lot of those guys were on that team that won it. I know George is a freshman and Bridges a transfer. But the other main core know what's happening here. And UCSB, great story. Congratulations to them. But I think they're running into a team that in Baylor is super, super talented. Maybe not had the best season, but understand it's tournament time. So they get past UCSB. And then in the second round, Creighton-Baylor, 6-3. Like, this is a really good game. I just slightly give the nod to Baylor because I think Baylor has a little more depth, whereas if Kalkbrenner gets in foul trouble... I don't really love Creighton's depth to help him at that position, be a rim protector against uh, a Thamba or a Tatama Shatsua because those two guys are interchangeable. They can play both of them. Drew can play both of them at the same time, but they are interchangeable. So if one gets in foul trouble, as long as the other one doesn't, they're fine, right? Whereas Creighton, if Kalkbrenner gets in trouble with the foul situation, there's not a lot of guys McDermott can turn to on his bench that he's very comfortable in bringing in in this type of game. So... I'm going to give the nod to Baylor to get into the Sweet 16 out of that uh, middle bottom pot. Now, all the way at the bottom of this south, Missouri-Utah State and Arizona-Princeton. Missouri-Utah State's an interesting game to me. I think it's one of the more interesting first-round matchups. A lot of 7-10 games are. Um, a lot of people think they're closer than the 8-9 sometimes. Mizzou... Brown, Hodge, Golson over 10, mostly Carter, Honor, East, they're close to 10. They got seven guys over 20 minutes. But I didn't love what I saw in the Bama game. They played pretty, like, good enough defense against the three. But Utah State, another team with five guys all over 10. Ashworth, Funk, Shogla, Aiken, Barcelona, they're all over 10. That kind of scoring worries me for a Mizzou team that even them playing really good defense, they couldn't score against Bama when they could have just ran away with that game if they scored at all because Bama was not shooting the three well in that one in the SEC tournament. So I think Utah State will score an upset here over Mizzou in the round of 64 and set up a matchup with Arizona in the round of 32 after Arizona should handle Princeton. Uh, the Princeton Tigers out of South Jersey there. South, uh, North, South, Central Jersey, whatever you kind of want to call it, because Princeton isn't really that South Jersey when you think about it. Anyway, um, Arizona, Utah State, that sets up in the second round. This Arizona team's really good, guys. Another very solid five, and I like Henderson and Boswell off the bench. They know their role, but a Kerr, Chris, a Ramey backcourt, and Larson in that kind of, Peja Stoyakovich, number th like three wing shooter kind of role where he's big enough to help out the bigs when he needs to. But you throw Tabellis out there. You throw Balo out there. Tabellis is a great scorer, and Balo is just getting better and better every time he touches the ball in the post and blocks a shot on defense and does the right rotation. He is developing really well. Tommy Lloyd's a great coach. I think the Utah State run ends against Arizona in the round of 32. So 
Sweet 16 set up in the South before we go to the Midwest. I got Bama and San Diego State um, and Baylor and Arizona. Let's go to the Midwest now. Houston will handle Northern Kentucky. The 8-9 here, Iowa and Auburn. It's an interesting matchup. Uh, Auburn will have some more fans with the game being in Birmingham, if I'm not mistaken. So just think about that. But Iowa, to me, can score, can score in bunches, isn't really known to be a defensive team. So they're not worried about putting up a number and kind of a thing. So Murray gets 20, Rebracca, uh, Patrick Caffrey, Perkins, Sanford, all over 10. I think Connor McCaffrey's the worst glue guy on the planet, but a lot of people would argue that. Fine. Euless is the other guard that gets some minutes for them. Auburn with Green Jr., Broom, Williams, Flanagan. They're all over 10 for Bruce Pearl's squad. Johnson's near 10. Jasper, Moore, Cardwell, they're all the role players for Coach Bruce Pearl getting some big minutes there. I'm just going to lean towards Iowa in this round of 64 game. I think they have so much scoring that it will overcome whatever Auburn's going to try to do to them. So that sets up Houston and Iowa, and get your uh, calculators out for this one. Sasser injury, no real update so far. I could see them sit sitting him in the Northern Kentucky game, or at least limiting his minutes, and making sure he's right for a second-round matchup and then going forward in this tournament for Houston because I think Sampson understands like he's got a good run. He's got a good shot at this thing coming out of this uh, Midwest. Walker, Shed, Roberts, Mark, five other guys played double-digit minutes for him, but it's all about those five really scorers. Sasser, Shed, Roberts, Mark, Walker, those are the scorers for them. And I think they will play a better game than Iowa will in that round of 32. So put, uh, put Houston in that Sweet 16. Now, next pod. This originally I had both the 12 and the 13 advancing in the first round because I had Drake over Miami, but then I kind of heard too many people have Drake over Miami. Now I'm sticking with Kent State over Indiana, um, and I'll get to that one in a minute, but I changed to Miami. Larinig is a good tournament coach. He's got three really good guards. Wong is an excellent guard. Miller and Pack, the other ones. Uh, Amiri in the front court, he's gets 10 in the game, but he could miss the Drake game. Uh, Poplar gets eight. That missing the front court player, I think, is big. Um, Drake with DeVries gets 19. Penn gets 13. Sturts, Brody, Wilkins, uh, Samaki, they're all over eight points a game. So it seems like it's DeVries and Penn, and then two out of the four between Sturts, Brody, Wilkins, and Samaki get involved for scoring for the Drake team. So a lot of players in this Drake-Miami game. It's an interesting one for me. I'm just going to lean towards Miami. I was thinking Drake early, but everybody picks the 5-12. So, um, so far I got two fives advancing. Now, the 4-13, and I do think Indiana is a good team. Jackson Davis is a good player. I like Hood Shafino. Miller Kopp is a good role player. Race Thompson is a good player. Galloway is a nice player. But Xavier Johnson being out for the Indiana Hoosiers, I think, is a big, big missing piece for Coach Woodson. And I think... For that reason, I'm going to put Kent State into the round of 32. Uh, Carey, Jacobs, Thomas, they're all over 10 a game. Soldier chips in as well. I just think this Kent State team is a really, really solid team coming out of a solid league. And Indiana might already be penciling themselves in to a matchup against Miami and then possibly then a matchup against Houston. 
I think they should possibly take it one game at a time. So I'm going to take Kent State in that one. I'm going to give Miami the uh, win over Kent State into the round of 32. Now, could Kent State upset Miami? Sure, especially coming off beating Indiana. And could Drake beat Indiana if they beat Miami? Absolutely. So keep your eye on this Miami, Drake, Indiana, Kent State pod. If both upsets happen or if one upset happens, see if there's another upset in the round of 32. But I'll just call it um, upset in the 413, straight up in the 512, and the 5 beats the 13. Miami beats Kent State in the round of 32. All right, middle-bottom pod. Iowa State will take on Pitt after Pitt came off the uh, thrilling win against Mississippi State on Tuesday night, and then Xavier Kennesaw State as well. So start with the 6-11, Iowa State and Pittsburgh. Iowa State with Holmes, Kalsher, they get 10 each. Grill, Asani, uh, and Cook nearly get 10. So Iowa State has another kind of five guys that can score. I haven't loved watching Iowa State play this year. If Kalsher isn't hitting threes, uh, they're in trouble. And if they're not shooting it well, it's kind of tough for them in some stretches to get buckets. Now, Pitt, or is Pitt going to be the team that rides the first four into the Sweet 16? We've had it a couple years now. Um is Pitt the team? I'm going to say no. As much as I will lean, hey, here's a spot for the 11, I just don't love what Pitt brought to the table on Tuesday night. I thought they were benefactors of Mississippi State not running away with the game and letting, the, and letting Pitt hang around kind of a thing. Um, you can argue the other way as well, but that's just my interpretation of the game. Iowa State I don't love, but I will give them the nod over Pitt. Now, a lot of people are picking Kennesaw State here over Xavier in this 314. I'm going to stick with Xavier. I know Fremantle is out, and Hunter and Claude, their roles are going to have to increase, but Boom, Jones, Nunji, Kunkel, they're ballers. Nunji is a really nice player. Gives you a big that can space the floor if you need him to clear out a big. Um, he gives you the opportunity to stretch the floor, and then with Kunkel, Jones, boom. They have guys that can handle the ball, and I think that's really, really important in March games. So we move Xavier on to face Iowa State. I think Xavier wins the game. Um, again, I think this is a game that Iowa State could get cold in if they had not already beaten Pittsburgh. Maybe this is Xavier Pitt, and I still have Xavier moving on, but I like Xavier in a matchup against either Pitt or Iowa State after Xavier wins against Kennesaw State in the round of 64. All right, last pod in the Midwest. Texas and Colgate on the bottom, but the 7-10 is A&M and Penn State. Are we destined for an A&M-Texas round of 32 showdown? I don't think so. I'm going to give Penn State the nod over A&M. I know A&M's had a really nice year. I know uh, Buzz Williams is... A hell of a coach. I, I think he is a hell of a coach. I think he's a great coach. Taylor and Radford over 10 for the Ags. Coleman, Marble, and Dennis near 10. But Penn State with Pickett, I think, has the best player on the floor. Lindy's had a nice season. Funk's had a nice season. Winter's had a nice season. So I think Pickett with the ball in his hands, making the decisions. You saw him really do it down the stretch for Penn State, not only in the regular season, but, of course, the Big Ten Tournament. And then I think he will do it in this game against AM. So give me the 10 over the 7 there, Penn State. And then they'll take on Texas in the round of 32 after I have Texas beating Colgate. Colgate, nice story, but Texas moves on to the round of 32. 
And Rodney Terry, can we take the interim tag away? What a job this guy has done. He's got a really good team, that's for sure. Carr, Rice, Hunter, Disu. Allen is the big question mark. Questionable with the leg injury. He's got Cunningham and Bishop as the role players. Listen, this is a really, really talented Texas team. I love that Cunningham and Bishop understand their roles, but Rice is an excellent player. Hunter's a great guard. Carr's a great guard. Disu is an excellent player. Timmy Allen's a great player. Like, this is a really, really good Texas team, and I have them beating Penn State into the Sweet 16. So the Midwest Sweet 16 looks like Houston and Miami up top, Xavier and Texas at the bottom. Now let's go to the West. The West is insane. Uh, Kansas trying to go back-to-back since 06, 07 the first time, since Florida. They'll move on against Howard, but the 8-9 here is really interesting because I said it on Tuesday's show. I think either Arkansas or Illinois could beat Kansas. Um, we've lost one seeds early recently. You know, we've had a lot more first weekend ones out than we've had in the past. I think Kansas is a really good team, but they're ripe for it in the second round. And I just think Illinois with Shannon and Meyer, they're great players, but Shannon's been hurt. Meyer's been hurt. Epps has been hurt. Goody just came back. You know, like, Illinois has not been at full strength at all. And every time it seems like they got a new lineup or there's new guys playing in new roles, like, Underwood's done a hell of a job to get them here. But I just don't think, you know, Shannon Meyer, Epps, Ninja, Hawkins, Goody, Clark, these guys haven't played enough together. So, for that reason, and I love Musselman. You know I love Musselman. Back-to-back Elite Eights for this crew. I think the Hogs get past Illinois in the first round. Smith Jr. is a great player in the making. Council's nice. We know Davis is just this vet that just takes over end-of-halves, end-of-game situations if they have to. Anthony Black is an explosive point guard. Walsh is a nice little throwback YMCA kind of stretch four. And then the Mitchell brothers, like, bigs that can help you out in different ways so I like Arkansas to get past Illinois and you can make the same argument about Arkansas that I made about Illinois that they haven't played full strength as much but at least Arkansas has played with this group of guys more than Illinois has played with their group of guys so I'm gonna go with Arkansas then I got I got Arkansas beating Kansas I know Wilson is a great player Dick is the shooter Adams is a nice player. Harris obviously makes it all go as the point guard. But the McCuller Jr. injury status worries me. I think that's a guy that came into this program to help a lot of guys that maybe weren't on the team last year or didn't have as big as roles as this year from last year. McCuller Jr. is a guy that really helps out with his Texas Tech experience in this NCAA tournament. But I just like the idea of a one going down in the opening weekend. And I just think that, not that Kansas is the weakest one, because I think Purdue technically with their guards is the weakest one. I don't think Bama loses to West Virginia or Maryland. I don't think Houston loses to Iowa or Auburn. I don't think Purdue loses to Memphis or Florida Atlantic. But I do think Kansas could lose to Arkansas and Illinois. So I'm going to go with Arkansas getting to the Sweet 16 after beating Illinois and then beating the one-seed Kansas at the top of the West bracket in the region. Now let's go to the 5-12 here. St. Mary's VCU, interesting game. I'm going to lean with VCU just to get it covered up by UConn anyway down below, but 
try to get an upset point here. I think St. Mary's a nice team. You know, Mahaney, Saxon, Johnson, Dukas, they're all in double figures. It's a nice team, but VCU is kind of a different animal. Um, Baldwin, Johns Jr., the transfer, Deloach, these guys are all over 10. Watkins and Nunn get 9+. plus. A lot of different scoring options for this VCU team. Um, St. Mary's in their co—it's a great program, you know. To push Gonzaga the way they push Gonzaga, the fact that they're both in the West is crazy here, but it is what it is. I'm just gonna give the nod to VCU here, try to get an upset, and then Connecticut beats Iona. Um, Connecticut for me is one of the best teams in the field. If they're in another bracket, I would love them coming out. I just eventually see them get knocked down. I won't spoil it yet, but I think this UConn team is very, very good. I think this is a year Hurley makes a run at least to the second weekend, possibly longer, but this is a big tournament for him, and he's got a really good team. Uh, Sonogo and Clayton, the, the bigs, I mean, Clayton is a great backup, and Sonogo's an awesome starter, so you got two bigs there already. Jackson Jr., where I knocked Connor McCaffrey as not a great glue guy. Jackson Jr. might be the best big uh, glue guy in, in the in the country for me. You know, I don't think Connor McCaffrey is a great glue guy. Jackson Jr. is the epitome of a great glue guy. And Newton handling the ball. Hawkins, the shooter. Calcaterra being a shooter. Caravan, Elaine, Diara, they're helping out in the backcourt as well. This UConn team is really, really good. I have them beating VCU and advancing to the Sweet 16. And now... On the bottom of this bracket, uh, bottom middle, TCU, Arizona State, slash Nevada. I'm recording this. That game hasn't tipped off yet because I don't want to be staying up all night because we're going to be staying up all night on Thursday and Friday anyway. Um, so I don't want to stay up all night on Wednesday. I have Arizona State or Nevada beating TCU. I think TCU is in a little bit of turmoil with the Jamie Dixon stuff. Lampkin's leaving the, the program. He went to the transfer portal. Ball and Miller get 10 plus. O'Bannon, Coles, PV all chip in. It's a good team for TCU. Um, but I just have somebody from the first four at least wins a game or two. I think it's Arizona State or Nevada. Arizona State with the Cambridges. Very solid. Bagley, Horn, Collins, Washington. They all get 10 plus or around double figures. Nevada is even a good team with Blackshear and Baker getting 10. Himes and Williams play big roles for that Wolfpack team. So either way, I have Arizona State and Nevada, either one beating TCU amongst that turmoil. Uh, and then uh, Gonzaga beating Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon's cheerleaders, gear, uh, uniform, all their stuff didn't show up on the plane apparently. So that's m a mild issue, a little bit of stress that you shouldn't really have. Um, so I got Gonzaga advancing there. And then I have Gonzaga going to Sweet 16, beating Arizona State or Nevada. Gonzaga is a very good team. Timmy is a – he's like your your favorite big's favorite big. He's just a gamer. He's resilient. He just fights for every offensive rebound, every defensive rebound, every loose ball. He, d he does it all. Um, Strother, Bolton, Watson, Malachi Smith, Hickman – it seems like the whole roster could shoot. The whole roster could bring the ball up. The whole roster can run the offense from all the different um, positions. So I uh, I have Gonzaga moving on against whoever the 11 is here. Is it Arizona State or Nevada? And now the bottom of the West. 
Northwestern, Boise State in the 7-10. UCLA, NC, Asheville. Put UCLA in the second round there. Northwestern, Boise is an interesting matchup. Boise's been a solid team. Um, good league. Good bid for them as well. You know, good seeding for them. Being a 10. Um, but Northwestern for me. Bowie, Audige, they're over 15. Barry, Baron. Barnheiser nearly 10 like the killer bees here for coach Collins Northwestern's a really nice team but they run into UCLA in the second round and Hawkes is the best player on the floor Tiger Campbell his three-point shooting has gotten so much better not that he was a bad three-point shooter but you could tell he didn't have the confidence enough to take him and make him now he just takes him and makes him in bunches so I understand Clark's hurt and Singleton hasn't been great of late, but he's still a good player. But this kid, Bailey, this freshman, he is amazing. And he is stepping right into the Jalen Clark role uh, when you need him to. And Bona has been great. I understand he's been uh, banged up with the uh, what do you have, the nose injury there with the face, the face mask. And then he's got the shoulder thing. So he's been banged up. He missed the Pac-12 title game. I think if they have him... They win that Pac-12 title game because without him, they almost won. So with him, you think they do win over Arizona. But I got UCLA beating Northwestern. So the Sweet 16 in the West, Arkansas, Connecticut at the top with Kansas being knocked out. And I got Gonzaga and UCLA. So the 2-3 at least at the bottom. Now to the East where Purdue is uh, going to take on FDU at the top of the bracket. So you put Purdue in as the one. The 8-9 here, Memphis-Florida Atlantic is an interesting game to me. Um, Florida Atlantic with some time in the top 25 this season. Uh, they got three guys over 10 and Davis, Martin, and Golden. Uh, Boyd and Forrest about 9, 9 plus. Memphis has a guy in Davis that gets 22 a game. Williams gets 17. And then they got Kennedy with almost uh, 10. 11 guys play 10 plus minutes for Penny Hardaway's team. I think that could be an issue because now you got to shorten your bench. It's kind of like hockey a little bit, but you got to shorten your bench here because one, you need your most important players playing the most minutes. That's a big factor because have they played that many minutes before that affects their legs, that affects their shooting, that affects their help defense, that affects their three point shooting and free throws at the end of the game. If they have their legs or not. Right. Um, But with Davis getting 22, he's the best scorer on the floor. I somehow just lean FAU here. Um, it doesn't really matter these 8-9. Sometimes you get them right, sometimes you get them wrong. But I'm just going to lead FAU here. They've had a really nice season. Cap it off with a win in the tournament. Duke Oral Roberts. A lot of people either picking Duke to win it, come out of the East, or lose in the first round to Oral Roberts. I think... Oral Roberts is a nice story, but the Dukies are good. And I understand with Shire, everything's kind of a new experience here. First tournament is the head man, but he was on the bench for some important teams and some big runs with Coach Krzyzewski, Coach K. Filipowski, for me, is a really important player for Duke because he can stretch the floor with his shooting. And I think that lines up with Purdue when we get to that game after we go through everybody again um, in the Sweet 16. So I like Duke to beat Oral Roberts, even though they only have two guys in double figures. But 
Mitchell, Proctor, Whitehead, they almost get 10. They got nine guys playing double-digit minutes, so not as big as a bench as some teams, but uh, for the Dukies, they take on Oral Roberts. I have them going on. Tennessee, Louisiana, I would have picked Tennessee to go out in the first round regardless of the seeding, regardless of the matchup. Louisiana, for me, is a tough matchup for them. Brown gets a double-double with 19 a game. They got shooters in Garnett and Williams Jr. They got Lewis Jr., Folks. They get 10 a game. Tennessee's missing Ziegler. Yes, Viscovi and JJJ and uh, Akuma get 10 a game. Phillips and Key almost at 10 a game as well. So it's not like Tennessee can't score, but Rick Bourne's teams do not win tournament games. I'm going to go trying to get upset here, 13 over the four, Louisiana over Tennessee, and then Duke beats Louisiana into the Sweet 16. Bottom middle of the East here as we almost wrap up the first and second rounds. Two pots to go. Kentucky Providence. Um, I can see the winner of this game getting to a regional final. I can see the winner of this game getting knocked out in the next round. Um, Providence has had a nice season with Cooley basically getting a whole new team. Um, a lot of guys moved on from last season. Hopkins, Carter, Crosswell, Locke, Bynum, they're all over 10 for him. So he's got a good team, but Shibwe is another type of animal. Um, Reeves and Toppin have been playing better. Wallace has been in the absence of Wheeler uh, carrying the ball. Frederick Livingston, important players for Calipari. I'm just going to lean Kentucky here. I think Shibwe gets double-double, is, is that kind of machine, and unfortunately Providence doesn't do enough to upset Kentucky um Kansas State Montana State I'm not hearing a ton about Montana State I understand why Kansas State's had a really good season with Tang um I wouldn't be shocked if this is the one where a 314 where maybe people don't have it and it happens as you look at the other 314s Baylor UCSB Xavier Kennesaw State a lot of people have the Kennesaw State one uh not too many people have the UCSB one and then not a lot of people have Grand Canyon or Gonzaga. So maybe this Kansas State, Montana State could be a spot for the 14 to beat the three. But I just think Kansas State with Keontae Johnson, who had a great, great season here. Norwell's had a great season. Tomlin, they're all getting a ton of game. Still just over uh, still just over eight. Six guys over 20 minutes. So it's not like he's going way down the line for a bunch of minutes. A lot of guys are playing um, significant minutes. So... I'm going to move Kansas State past Montana State, and I'm going to pick Kentucky over Kansas State. I just think at some point, coaching in your first tournament does catch up with you, and though Calipari isn't the best X's and O's guy, he does make these tournament runs sometimes where he isn't the one seed or a two seed. You know, he had a run where he was an eight. He's had a run in the mid-team, in, in the mid-middle um, seed there, so... I think it's an opportunity for Kentucky to get two wins, get to a Sweet 16, and see what happens um, at the Garden there. So I'm going to lean Kentucky over Kansas State in the round of 32. And then our final pod in the first and second rounds, 7-10, Michigan State, USC, and Marquette and Vermont. Move Marquette into the second round, but I want to talk about this Michigan State-USC game. USC, to me, in a different year, I would love them in this spot against a, a ton of different sevens. But even those years, I would still probably take a Michigan State because Izzo is this tournament. I understand 
Sometimes they've had first-round exits where you've been shaking your head like, what the hell? But this one, for me, I think Michigan State is criminally underrated. Um, In a very, very deep Big Ten, if this was a Big Ten that wasn't great and some of the other teams were just bad, Michigan State would have been a top team and a top 10 team for me because they would have stacked up some more wins. I love Izzo. You know I love Izzo. And Walker is a New York City guard. I love that. Hauser, even though I knocked him and his brother forever, he can shoot the basketball, and that gives them something in Michigan State that they need. Hogger, he's over 10, is a great ball handler. Hall, Aikens, they're near 10. Sissoko, the big. I really like the makings of this Michigan State team, so I'm going to move them past USC and Boogie Ellis and Drew Peterson um, and Andy Enfield's crew. So give me Michigan State and Marquette at the bottom here. And I'm picking Michigan State. I'm calling my shot here. I think this Michigan State team is going to make a run. And I have them beating Marquette. Even though Marquette has another four double figures, I've kind of disrespected Marquette all year. I haven't really given them maybe their fair due after both winning the Big East regular season and the Big East uh, tournament, which is an unbelievable task. And I, and I have given them credit, but... That still hasn't made me believe in them more. I think Shock is a great coach, and I think Kolick is an awesome player. Uh, Jones is a nice player. Prosper is a good player. Uh, Dario is a nice player. Joplin gets nine. Those other four guys getting ten a game. Joplin just gets nine, so another team with almost five guys in double figures. They can score, but at some point, the game gets tight. And I just like Izzo, even though... Michigan State has scared me with some collapses recently. Um, well, that's been against Iowa, where they had the lead at Carver-Hawkeye, and Iowa made a million threes down the stretch of the uh, the game there. Who, what was the other game? Um, against Ohio State, they lost at home. They blew a lead. So I think Izzo will have them more prepared, and I like Michigan State to beat that Marquette team. So that's where we're at in the Sweet 16 in the East, Purdue, uh, Purdue, Duke, and Kentucky, and Michigan State. So let's reset here. Now to the Sweet 16 in the South. We got Bama and San Diego State. I like Bama in this game. I just really like the fact that Miller, Sears, Clowney, Quinterly, even Bradley and Griffin at some point – can handle the ball, get to the rim, and get shots. And Betty Ako is a very good, for me, out-of-the-post passer for threes. I think San Diego State's a nice story, and Bradley's a really good player, and they have a bunch of other good players. But Alabama, for me, moves on to the Elite Eight. And Baylor, Arizona, I just think this is where the Baylor run ends. They'll have a nice win over UCSB. They'll have a nice win over Creighton, but... This Arizona team, to me, is just a little different. And that's something to say because this Baylor team has the makings of a champion, as we know. And I could obviously see Baylor beating Arizona, possibly beating Bama if they catch the fire and get into a Final Four. For sure, they're that talented. And guys like Flagler and Cryer have done it before. Tachama Chachua and Thamba have done it before. And George and Bridges are additions, but they're great, great players. So Baylor could beat Arizona, for sure. But I think Kirk Krissa is an ultimate point guard's point guard. Yeah, he can shoot a couple threes and get to the rim and make his layups when he has to, but he is looking to get other people involved. Of course, that's Ramey. 
the Texas transfer. Of course, that's Larson, the wing shooter. Sabellis, one of the bigs. And this Balo kid, they're making other teams respond with double bigs or they're going to get torn up on the inside. Because if you can only give one big and you match him up with Balo, then guess what? Tabellis is going to kill you for offensive rebounds. So Baylor's going to have to throw Thamba and Tachamachachua out there. And that hurts them because then they can only have three of the four on the floor in George Flagler, Cryer, and Bridges and not four out of the four. They can try to match up those four and one of Tachamachachua or Thamba, but you're giving up a little size. So I think that's a great matchup. And either Baylor-Arizona is is an all-time game or Alabama-Arizona or Alabama-Baylor are all-time games. Like, we could get some really, really great games in um, the South Regional when we get to the Sweet 16 Elite Eight. So put in Bama-Arizona, and I think a team, one of the only teams that could beat Arizona is in Alabama. Because they are so long. Betty Yako's big. Clowney's big. Miller's big. Yeah, Sears and Quinterly aren't that big. But they don't have to be because the other guys are. And I think a Sears, a Quinterly match up really well with Krissa and a Ramey. I think Miller matches up with a Larson or a Tabellis. I think Clowney matches up with a Larson or a Tabellis. And I think Pediaco matches up great with Balo. So, all the advantages or some of the advantages that Arizona had, possibly in the game against Baylor, possibly in the game against Utah State, and in the game against Princeton, I think they go out the window against Bama. And that's why I have Bama coming out of the South. The number one overall seed does get to a Final Four. They beat Arizona in the regional final, and they are in my Final Four. Midwest, Houston and Miami. And originally here I had Houston against State, but we changed that, so that's okay. Um... This is a guards game, Houston and Miami. Whose guards play better? Is it Coach Laranega's Wong Miller Pack three guards, or is it Coach Sampson with Saucer, uh, Sasser, Shannon Mark? Are those guys ready to go? So I, um, I'm very curious to see how they're able. Or whose guards are going to dictate the pace? Whose guards are going to be the best guards on the floor? Uh, I'm very interested to see this matchup if we get there. Because I think the guard play is really, really good. And Walker and Roberts, the bigs for Houston, good players. You know, Amari's a nice player for Miami. But this is a guard scheme. And I think it might just be a too big of a moment for Miami. So give me Houston to get to the regional final. And then at the bottom with Xavier, Texas, I think this is where the Fremantle injury does catch up to Xavier because Bump, Jones, Nanji, Kunkel, they're really, really good players. But this Texas team, this this talent level that this Texas team has is insane. And they're going to have awesome confidence because they knocked off Kansas in the Kansas tournament in that Big 12 tournament that Kansas wins the regular season, Kansas wins the Big 12 tournament, and that's it. That's how that league works. No, Texas won it. And I think Texas will beat Xavier, and I think Texas will beat Houston. 
because it's role reversal in that Midwest final if it's Houston versus Texas because Houston is the one seed. Houston is the team with the tournament experience with this with this uh, court. Houston is the team that everybody is putting in their final, in their championship line, coming out of the Midwest. Houston is the team with all the pressure, and Texas is the two. And yeah, we know where that game would be, but you don't think there's going to be Texas fans there? So I'm going to pick the Texas Longhorns because I think the pressure will all be on Houston. And I think that will free up the Longhorns a little bit. And though that Houston team is really, really good, Texas can answer with guards. Carr is a great guard. Hunter is a great guard. Rice has really emerged as a great ball handling kind of guard as well, scoring guard. Thiessu and Allen are the biggest. Cunningham and Bishop are the role players. I really, really like this Texas team. And that's why I have them going to the Final Four, beating Houston in a regional final. So, so far we have Alabama out of the South and Texas out of the Midwest. Now to the West. And this is where I have a pretty big shakeup and an 8-4 here. The 4 not so much, but the 8 in Arkansas beating Kansas in the round of 32. That sets up Arkansas and Connecticut in the Sweet 16. And I don't think it's three Elite 8s in a row for Arkansas uh, even though I love that team. UConn is really, really good. UConn is really, really deep. I think they're coached really well. Not that the Must Bus is a bad coach. That's not what I'm saying at all. Or, or Must Bus doesn't coach his team well. I think the Connecticut team just has a little bit more talent. Especially with uh, Brazil being out for Arkansas, which sucks. But between like a Hawkins or a Smith Jr. who's the best player on the floor or best shooter on the floor, I think could de uh, determine this game. If UConn shoots it well against Arkansas's tough defense, UConn wins. If Arkansas makes it a slugfest in a low-scoring game, I think they po they can win. If it's a if it's a high-scoring close game, UConn wins because at some point Arkansas I don't think can score with UConn if it gets to that kind of game. Either team can win at either team's pace, but obviously it's better if you play it at your pace. And that's why I think the game's going to be played a little bit at UConn's pace. They make more shots than Arkansas does. Give me UConn in a regional final against the winner of Gonzaga UCLA, which was a unbelievable game. Um in a Final Four a couple years ago in the COVID year um, where Gonzaga had that uh, buzzer beater win it. Unbelievable shot. They ended up went on to lose to Baylor, as we know. Anyway, uh, Gonzaga-UCLA here. Bowen up first. Timmy, really interesting matchup. Then you got uh, Strother versus Haquez. Bolton and Watson versus Campbell, Singleton, Bit. Like, these are some great, great matchups. Mark Few is a great coach, but I just think this Mick Cronin UCLA team has something different. They've had to deal with injuries. Clark getting hurt for them is a killer, but this Bailey freshman has stepped up, and I have them beating Gonzaga. 
And then I have UCLA ending UConn's run. I think UConn will hit its ceiling when it gets to play UCLA. Because, yes, you know, even if they beat VCU or St. Mary's, Arkansas or Kansas, whoever would be a step in the class. But UCLA, to me, is another level with the with their experience with Campbell and Hawkes. Um, the little things that those guys do, whether that's tip and get on the floor and create uh, points on fast breaks from turnovers, they just do so many great things. I'm going to put UCLA into the Final Four over UConn. And that leads us to the East. Purdue, Duke, and Kentucky, Michigan State. Purdue, Duke, Filipowski is going to drag Edie away from the rim. I think that changes the game, and I think Duke will win this game. Purdue's guards, I do not trust. I don't trust Newman. I don't trust Lawyer. I don't trust Smith. I don't trust Morton, who plays major minutes and doesn't score. That kind of troubles me um, that he's out there. Gillis is a nice forward, but you can't have your forward handling the ball for you all the time. I don't trust the Purdue guards. This is the game that it catches up with them. I know Filipowski and Roach are the only guys in double figures for the Duke Blue Devils, but Mitchell, Proctor, and Whitehead almost have 10 a game. Nine guys play double-digit minutes for Shire. I think the Duke team here has a chance to upset Pitt, uh, Purdue sorry, because Edie will be away from the rim with Filipowski dragging him out because Filipowski can shoot it. And I think that gives the other Duke scorers opportunities to get to the rim and get easy buckets, not against uh, a shot blocker and a rim protector. That is Zach Eady. And with Filipowski, I think they can play Eady not all the time straight up, but more times no double than other teams without a big like Filipowski, even though he's young. So I'm going to pick Duke to upset Purdue in the Sweet 16. And then I got Kentucky and Michigan State on the bottom. And I'm going to pick Michigan State here. I'm going to pick Izzo's crew to upset the Cal crew. Um, I really like the Michigan State guards. Hauser has grown on me as their shooter. I never thought he could be good enough to be a team shooter by himself, but he is. And I think at some point we've seen with Kentucky, not that they run out of gas, but they don't support Oscar Shibway enough because he has games where he has like 18 and 13 and nobody is helping him out. And I think we could get one of those in the Sweet 16 against Michigan State, and I'm moving Michigan State on, and that sets up Duke and Michigan State, and the Duke supporter in me, what's left after I was, like, dragged out and embarrassed in a Final Four Saturday night, which was absolutely gut-wrenching that I have not watched the highlights back from only once, I believe, to do the show last year. But I think Michigan State beats Duke. I think there's something about this Michigan State team. They're going to beat Marquette. They're going to beat Kentucky, and they're going to beat Duke and get to a Final Four. So my Final Four is Alabama out of the South, Michigan State out of the East, and Texas out of the Midwest, and UCLA out of the West. So in the Final Four, Bama, Michigan State, 
this is where the Michigan State Spartans just don't score enough. Um, and Alabama is just going to not run them out of the building. But if it's played at Alabama's pace and they're making shots, Michigan State is going to have to score like 75-80. That's not the way they want to play. They want to get you into the low 70s at most, into the 60s. That's the game they want to play. Um, and not that I'm going to say Bama boat races them, but Miller's the best player on the floor. And I don't know who's going to guard him for Michigan State. You know, Walker can guard either Sears or Quinterly. Hogger could possibly guard the other one. You're going to put Joey Hauser on Clowney. He's going to cook him. Like, who is Joey Hauser guarding against Bama? Like, that's a that's a matchup problem for Michigan State if they get to this point against the Bama, and that's why I got Bama going into the final. And then on the other side, Texas and UCLA, a pair of two seeds. This is why I have UCLA in the final. I just think it's their year. I love Mick Cronin. I think he's a great coach. I love Tyra Campbell. I love Hawkes. I love what this freshman Bailey is doing. Um, and the Texas team is super talented. I have them winning their region and coming to the Final Four. But I have a UCLA-Alabama title. And I'm just going to say I think UCLA, and despite you know having a few Trump family, by the way, I think UCLA comes out of the West, beats whoever's coming out of the Midwest, and then meets up with Alabama or Arizona or Purdue or Duke or whoever um, out of the East or the South, and the UCLA Bruins climb atop college basketball's mountain. So that was picking the bracket. Was that about 50 minutes? So hopefully you enjoyed that. Um, and if you didn't, whatever. That's the segment I wanted to do. So that was picking the bracket. I got UCLA over Alabama in the final. Alabama beating Michigan State, UCLA beating Texas in the Final Four, and hopefully we get a really, really great tournament, which I think we will. All right, first four recap. Uh, Southeast Missouri State, Texas A&M, Corpus Christi. A&M, Corpus Christi wins that one going away. Then we have Pitt, Mississippi State on Tuesday night. Pitt wins a close game. 21 lead changes. Mississippi State had a chance at the buzzer. They had a three in the corner, just too strong, and then too strong on the follow as well. Would have counted. Uh, the second follow would not have counted, even if that went in. So Mississippi State, chance at the buzzer, goes begging. Pitt moves on. FDU took advantage of a Texas Southern team that just seems to be in the first four every year. Um, so FDU moves on. And then we have Arizona State and Nevada playing its first half, just under 10 minutes. Arizona State is up 11. So that's your live update for uh, that one. All right, uh, soccer, Jamie's League, round of 16 second legs. Porto and Inter. Inter had a 1-0 lead from the first leg, courtesy of a Lukaku goal. This one finished 0-0, so Inter moves on. A stoppage time goal line clearance by Denzel Dumfries kept the tie 0-0. Taremi had a shot, hit the post. Another shot from Gruwich hit the crossbar. Pepe got sent off. Not that Pepe, but another Pepe for Porto. And Porto had a bunch of chances. The, the end of the match was crazy. But Inter keep a clean sheet away from the San Siro, and they move on. Man City, Rebel Leipzig, 1-1 from the first match, and City win the second match, 7-0. A harsh handball, but it was a handball. Holland, PK, got him started. Then De Bruyne, a shot goes off the bar. Holland, header for his second. 
Ruben Diaz had a header from a corner get half cleared onto Holland's leg for a hat trick. Uh, Gunawan had a great goal, great cutback. Then Holland got a fourth. Then Holland got a fifth. Then De Bruyne got a stoppage time goal. 7-0, 8-1 on aggregate as City move on. Real Madrid, Liverpool at the Bernabeu. Real Madrid had a three-goal lead from a 5-2 first leg win at Anfield. And they win the second leg 1-0. Plenty of chances both ways for either side in the first half. Allison brilliant with two really point-blank saves. Um, good saves from Contois as well. Into the second half, Liverpool with chances again. But then the other way, for Van Dijk and Benzema kind of collide. Ball falls to Vinicius as he's on the ground. He plays it to Benzema. He puts it in an empty net. 1-0 Madrid. Liverpool played well enough to get some goals. And they had kept a clean sheet for a long time. But they never got the first goal. They were never able to get a, a second goal to possibly put the pressure on Madrid um, to concede a third and tie it. But Madrid move on. They were the better uh, team over two ties. 2-0, 15 minutes in there was really exciting for what it was, but that was certainly not the story of the tie. Napoli, Frankfurt, 2-0 Napoli from the first leg, victory in Germany. Napoli win this one, 3-0. Unfortunately, violence in the streets of Naples uh, before the match put a black eye on this one. Uh, you know the Frankfurt fans are very passionate, and we know uh, the Italian fans' passion knows no bounds, but uh, Napoli win this one, 3-0. Hopefully everyone's okay there. Osimo and headed in the first half. Stoppage time, then another Osimo and goal in the second half. Zielinski from the penalty spot made it 3-0. So the quarterfinal draw is on Friday. Bayern Munich from Germany, Real Madrid from Spain, the uh, defending champions. Man City and Chelsea representing England. We have three Italian teams, Napoli, AC Milan, and Inter Milan, and then Benfica from Portugal. One of these things is not like the other, as they say. So the quarterfinal draw is on Friday. We could get some titanic matches in the quarterfinal some that could be deserving of final so that draw is on friday we'll react to that on tuesday's show midweek epl brighton crystal palace brighton went at one nil solely march a goal assisted by matoma of course then southampton brentford brentford went at two nil at st mary's tony and wissa the goal scorers for brentford weekend soccer preview not everybody playing epl with um some fa cup matches so, Forest, Newcastle, good match there. Uh, Villa, Bournemouth. Bournemouth need all the points they can get. Brentford, Leicester City, Southampton, Tottenham, Wolves, Leeds, Chelsea, Everton, Arsenal, Crystal Palace. Good London Derby there. FA Cup matches, Man City, Burnley, Sheffield, United, Blackburn, Brighton, Grimsby Town, Man U, and Fulham. Man City, Burnley, Vincent Company manages Burnley, so he's coming back to the edge he had. La Liga, Atletico, Valencia, and we have a El Clasico, Barca, and Real Madrid ahead of the international break. Syria, Atalanta, Empoli, Unesi, Milan, Turin, Napoli, Lazio, Roma, and Inter and Juve. Big match there. Bundesliga, Bortram, Rebel Leipzig, Dortmund, Cologne, Union Berlin, Frankfurt, and Leverkusen, Munich, League Un, PSG, and Stad Ren. International break is next. NFL headlines. Aaron Rodgers appears on McAfee's show. Uh, quote, since Friday, my intention was to play and to play for the New York Jets, end quote. Roger also said the deal is not done yet, but it's a matter of getting it done by this point. Jets and Packers have to work it out. Uh, he also went into the darkness 90% retiring, but it was clear to him while the Packers were saying the right thing publicly 
they wanted to move on. Says he wishes he had heard they wanted to move on earlier. So uh, it seems like the Packers want to go to Jordan Love. They're sick of the Rodgers thing, which I don't blame them. I'm kind of sick of it, and I'm really trying to warn as many Jets fans as I can not to get as excited as they should or as they are going to because this is this guy. I don't know. I don't know. They signed Alan Lazar already. They're talking with Beckham. They're talking with Mercedes Lewis. They already brought in Hackett. Like, they've done all these things to get Aaron Rodgers, but and now it seems like they're going to get him, but sometimes what you get you don't really want kind of a thing. I don't know. So Rodgers wants to play for the Jets, and there you have it. And the Jets and the Packers got to work it out, and uh, then the Jets will have a quarterback. For I don't know how long, this guy just says he wanted to retire. Was he going to play one year? But here we go again. Uh, Lamar tweets that Schefter's report of him turning $200 million is wrong. Um, he's his own agent. He turned down 133 for three years, which is 45-plus, I think. Um, I don't know, man. That's a good – like, again – it seems like the NFL has the take or the NFL teams have the take that myself and some other people do that he's not as good as the national media and all the other fans think he is. I don't know. That's just to me. The Colts are going to cut ties with Matt Ryan. They've also traded Stephon Gilmore to the Cowboys. And the Cowboys have cut Ezekiel Elliott. It's a sad day for me. Um, Zeke is one of my favorite Cowboys ever. Uh, it's unfortunate that's going to end this way and hopefully it doesn't maybe he doesn't get what he's looking for on free agency comes back on a, a nice contract for everybody but for the time being Ezekiel Elliott is no longer a Dallas Cowboy which sucks but they got Stephon Gilmore that helps the secondary a lot uh, a lot Giants make a move they trade uh, Darren Waller to uh, they get Darren Waller from the Raiders and then um, the Raiders sign Jacoby Myers Baker Mayfield is going to the Bucks, so he's going to compete against um, Trask for the job there. Eagles re-signed Bradbury. They signed Penny, the running back. They cut Darius Slay because they lost Miles Sanders to the Panthers. Panthers also signed Andy Dalton and Hayden Hurst. Cardinals signed Kazir White, another Eagle leaving. Lions signed David Montgomery. Saints uh, re-signed Mike Thomas and signed Jamal Williams, so the Lions replaced Montgomery, um, replaced Williams, Montgomery with Williams, or Williams and Montgomery, Jesus, too. Uh, Falcons sign Heineke, Commander sign Brissett, Brown sign uh, Thornwell, the former chief safety. They cut Clowney. Pat signed Juju Smith-Schuster, and the Texans traded for Shaq Mason, so some of the moves in the NFL. Valspar, championship this week for golf. Not the best field, but still some names. Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Justin Rose, Fitz, Fleetwood, Keegan, Sam Burns among the crew at the Valspar. Okay, so if you made it this far... This is the program, a uh, part of the program where we're going to talk about Mandalorian season three, episode three, if I'm not mistaken. And um, if you are watching the show and you haven't watched yet, here's where you show the show off. We'll talk about the tournament on Tuesday and the reaction to the Champions League draw. We'll do all that on Tuesday and have a great weekend. And enjoy the basketball. Now, if you are a sports fan and a Mando fan, here's where you stay on the program. If you are not a Mando fan or if you Armando fan and haven't caught up yet, this is where you exit the program. So thanks for listening. Anyway, Mandalorian, episode three, season three, spoilers, 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 spoilers. Okay, it's a big Dr. Pershing episode, and 
I think a lot of people kind of forgot about the doc. Uh, it's called The Convert, and it's a great title for the three themes of the episode. Uh, Din Djarin, Bokassan, and it's Dr. Pershing. So we start where we left off in the mines with Din kind of knocked unconscious still and Bo kind of just collecting herself of what she just saw. Um, and Bo doesn't tell Din about the mythosaur, which I kind of find very interesting. And Din grabs a cylinder of water to prove that he's been in living water. So I think that's smart. They have a nice little moment in space with a this is the way kind of a thing. And Grogu, I think, tries to say this is the way. But people are being like, no, he's force sensitive. He knew the attack was coming or whatever. I don't know. It could be a little of both. Why not both? Why not both? So it's uh, Empire Interceptors find uh, the ship. They come shooting. Din's got to fend them off with one of the guns. They come up with this little plan on the fly that Bo's going to drop him off uh, at the N1, and then he's going to help her in the dogfight with the N1. So he drops out of the plane, out of the ship, and rockets down. It was so sick. Gets in the N1 just in time, kills the TIE Interceptor that's on him, and then joins the dogfight with Bo. Um, they take out all the fighters, but there's a bombing run executed on Bo's castle while they were doing that. So she's pissed off. She takes after the bombers, but then another wave of interceptors shows up. So Mando and Bo have to climb to the uh, surface of the planet. Or not the surface of the planet. The surface of the atmosphere, I guess you could say. Yeah, the atmosphere. And then make the jump to light speed, which they do. And that's really all we see of Bo and Dan and Grogu until the end of the episode because we get Dr. Pershing, who is in the... New Republic Amnesty Program with old Imperial officers or troops, and it's on Coruscant. And he's doing this TED Talk about cloning, and it's very interesting. And this was pointed out by um, Screen Crush and all the other channels on YouTube. It's the same opera house where the Emperor turned Anakin. Isn't that interesting? I thought that was interesting. So he's giving a TED Talk about cloning, Says he wish he could do it still, all this kind of stuff, though. You know, he's great to the ANSI program. It's very important. And all these, you know, former people that didn't think they were bad people or getting help or whatever. So um, he meets with some aristocrats afterwards, proving that, you know, their word wasn't really touched about who was in charge. It was just who was paying them for some money. So he ends up getting in this taxi, gets dropped off at the ANSI housing, and he's trying to walk back to his room. But there's some other ANSI officers that call him over and they're reminiscing about their time in the Empire, which is kind of weird. But again, it's kind of providing this human aspect to, you know, after Return of the Jedi that you don't get from the trilogy, you know. Um, so they're reminiscing. He recognizes Ella Kane, who was on Moff Gideon's ship, reported directly to Moff Gideon. And he's like, I didn't reckon I didn't think I would recognize somebody from Moff Gideon's ship, all this kind of stuff. They talk about Moff Gideon, how he escaped possibly escape the tribunal nobody really knows where he is whatever so um they talk about what they miss he's like oh i miss the biscuits or whatever so she gets him the biscuits um g68 hurts her he's lm 50 whatever whatever so we see a day of work for the doc and he's doing data entry and it's very menial it's very boring it's very below him he's a doctor uh so he goes with g68 alkane to see the sites sees the last piece of the visible structure that was Coruscant before all the plant all the uh, buildings and stuff so um, yeah he meets with this debriefing droid asks about the cloning Kane tells him about the scrapyard 
another day at work. He's protesting what he's doing. He meets with a debriefing, debriefing droid again, um, and he decides he's going to go try to get that mobile workstation and work on his cloning stuff again in secret and then present it to them. So him and Ella Kane go out. He's bugging out. You know, he's looking at the security guards. He's looking at the ticket thing. He's looking everywhere, darting his eyes, looking at all these passengers, no clue what to say or whatever. So they're on the train to the scrapyards. They somehow get in. And then uh, here come the ticket inspector droids. So they start tracking them through the trains. They jump off the train. Somehow they landed safely. I don't know how they landed safely, but they did. So then they get to an Imperial Star Destroyer. They're exchanging names to gain more trust. He finds one of his like little lab possible stations where people like him would have been stationed on the Star Destroyer. Uh, he grabs the little to-go box of supplies. They hear footsteps and, and flashlight. She's like, all right, let's go. They get caught, but he's the only one arrested, which, like, what the hell is this? So how it worked is she is posing as a... I don't know if she's a spy, but she works for the New Republic and tries to out people that still believe in the Empire, I guess, when she's actually the one that does that. We'll get to that in a second. So they get him to a Mind Flare machine, which since it's the New Republic, it they turned it down. It's not all the way up, so it's not a torture machine. It's just kind of a neurological cleansing. You know what I mean? It's not like it's not the Men in Black button. But it's that, to a degree, turned all the way down, if that makes any sense. So he gets in this machine. The New Republic guys are like, no, it's not a trap. It's not anything. Like, it's all good. Like, everything's fine. Like, we don't torture. We're the New Republic. But um, they say all those things. And then we have Ella Kane stays behind. She makes it a torture machine. She dials it all the way up. And I think she's Empire First Order rather than being a reformed person doing things for the New Republic. She has this role of testing to see if people are committed. And if they're not, she's going to say they're not committed, but still do what she can to get them committed back to the Empire and so forth, be the First Order. So keep a watch on this the rest of the season, the rest of the show, that we have this little the rise of the first order storyline happening on Coruscant with this doctor and this Ella Kane lady who's not actually New Republic. So now we're back to Mando and Bo. They come out of hyperspeed hyperspeed there at the Mandalorian hideout, the com the convert, the covert, the covert. Uh they get G checked by Tar and some Mandalorians being like, yo, you are apostates, get the hell out of here, both of you. She takes off her helmet all the time. You took off your helmet, get the hell out of here. Um and I was like, nah, I went to the waters. I can prove it. Let me prove it. Get out of my face. So they're like, all right, let's see. So they give the water to the armor. She pours it in. She confirms it's from the living waters. They're both redeemed. And since Bo hasn't taken her helmet off yet, she's part of the crew. Until she takes her helmet off and isn't part of the crew anymore, she's part of the crew. So Mando is converted back. Bo is converted a first time. Pershing was converted to the New Republic and now is probably going to be converted to the First Order. So, cool title name, great episode. I understand people being like, well, I want episodes about Grogu and the Mandalorian. This is okay, they gave you that at the beginning and the end of this episode. We didn't miss a, a lot from their storyline. And we also got this auxiliary storyline of a guy that was involved in the first season 
and even in the second season of this cloning escapade with Grogu, like that's setting up how they got Palpatine back. Like I think Favreau and Filoni are going to do the jobs of J.J. Abrams and Rian Johnson and fix the sequel trilogy in shows like Mandalorian. That's just my take. That's just how I believe it. And I think they are doing that and righting the wrongs that uh, Rian Johnson and J.J. Abrams did in the sequel trilogy. I think Filoni and Favreau are fixing it in their shows. So um, I love the episode. I thought it was great. And I am uh, looking forward to more Mandalorian next Thursday's show. So um, next Thursday, we'll look ahead to the Sweet 16 Elite Eight. But next Tuesday, we will recap... um, the opening two rounds of the NCAA tournament. So we will recap all the games in the first two rounds on Tuesday. Recap weekend soccer. Talk about the quarterfinal draw. But enjoy the basketball this weekend. Stay safe out there. No drinking and driving. St. Patty's Day. Happy St. Patty's. Happy tournament. March Madness, baby. Peace. That's the name of it? Guys, check out his podcast. That sounds like my kind of podcast. Football, 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 and sometimes other sports show. Sounds like me.